This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. This is Carrie Lynn Evans welcoming you back to New Books and Secularism, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. Today, I'm looking forward to sharing with you Atheism in Five Minutes by Professor Temu Tyra. Atheism in Five Minutes is part of Equinox Publishing Religion in Five Minutes series. It offers insights into a number of commonly held questions about the ideas, practices, and attitudes concerning atheism and atheists. The volume highlights approaches based on the study of religion, sociology, history, anthropology, politics, and psychology. It also examines the implications and assumptions in common questions about atheism. Ideal for both classroom use and personal study, some of the questions asked include, are atheists immoral? Are children born atheist? Do atheists have rituals? How has atheism related to politics? Why do some atheists remain members of religious groups? Is it difficult to be an atheist in Muslim countries? Do atheist parents have atheist children? Why are there so few black atheists? What are the most atheistic societies? And has the internet made atheism more popular? We'll get to some of those today. Each chapter is based on the latest research written by a leading scholar in the field. They offer concise and thoughtful answers along with suggestions for further reading. Because each chapter can be read in about five minutes, the books of this series offer ideal supplementary resources in classrooms or an engaging read for those curious about the world around them. Temu Tyra is a senior lecturer in the study of religion, University of Helsinki, and docent at the Department of Study of Religion, University of Turku, Finland. He researches religion in the media, atheism, secularism, and non-religion, and the discursive study of religion as a category. This year, he has also published Taking Religion Seriously, Essays on the Discursive Study of Religion with Brill, uh, which has also been discussed on the New Books Network recently, so I will put a link to that in the blog post. He joins me today to talk about his atheism in five minutes. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to New Books and Secularism. Temu, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, it's great to be back. Thanks for having me. So let's start with you. Tell us a bit about yourself and how you came to work in your field. Institutionally speaking, I always, I've always been in the study of religion departments ever since I started my studies in early 1990s. So, I mean, to cut a long story short, I did my studies at the University of Turku, Finland. Then after PhD, I moved to Leeds, worked at the University of Leeds for a couple of years. Then I moved back to Turku 
until I was offered a job from the University of Helsinki in 2015, and I've been here ever since. But regarding uh, the topic we are talking today, um, my research on atheism started, I would say, 2004 or five, approximately. And um, I think I published first pieces in Finnish language in 2007, then maybe 2012, the first English language publications. And 2014, I published uh, Finnish language monograph on the new visibility of atheism that was focusing quite strongly on so-called new atheism. And I've been working on and off uh, with these topics ever since. Although that is uh, atheism is not my only area area, but uh, so yeah, so I would say that even in this area, I've been working for something like uh, a bit more than fifteen years. Okay, so next, maybe tell us how you came to be the editor for this particular book. Yeah, that was in summer 2020 when I was having email conversations with Russell McCutcheon, who's one of the editors of this book series. And um, then I, I asked, I mean, we were having conversation about completely other issues, but then I asked whether there's anyone who has proposed um, the topic atheism for this series. And no one wasn't, no one hadn't proposed that. And then I think uh, Russell asked something like, do you think that there would be enough interesting questions to cover? Because the idea is that, that in this book series, there's something like 60 to 80 short chapters focusing on questions. And then I think I replied something that um, in, in, the Cambridge History of Atheism, the atheism, there are 60 chapters, and in the Oxford Handbook on Atheism, there's 46 chapters. So I think that we can easily uh, get enough interesting questions for this topic. And, and that was the, the background uh, story. Then soon after, after we had uh, decided that, okay, I'm going to start editing this book. Right. So yeah, I wanted to start by asking you about the series. Equinox Publishers has an entire series called Religion in Five Minutes, of this, uh, of which this is one part. And uh, if you could just talk about what niche are they trying to fill with the series of books? What audience are they trying to reach? And can you tell us anything about some of the other books in this series that have come out so far? Yes, I can. I can tell something about that. I, I don't want to speak on behalf of the editors of the series or the or the publisher as such, uh, and I don't know all the details and background. But so far, I think five books have been published in this series. One is Religion in Five Minutes. Then there's a book about Buddhism, Hinduism, and uh, indigenous religious traditions. And there are more to come. the The idea is that. Uh, each chapter can be read in approximately five minutes. So they are very short chapters. And all the chapters are based on questions. And it is typical for the series that many questions, or even most of the questions, are based on actual student questions. So it is not the case that just editors decide what is worth asking regarding the topic. 
Uh, and if we think about the, the uh, readership, um, I think the, there are at least three possible answers to that. First is that we should think about first-year students who don't know much about the topic. These are not really typical textbooks, but these are sort of maybe complicating the answers textbooks often give. Um, but the idea is that this can be used in teaching, no, not necessarily as, as uh, simply as, a, as part of the course on atheism, but, but in almost any kind of entry-level um, course dealing with religion, non-religion, worldviews, and so on and so forth. So, uh, because these are short chapters, these are great discussion starters in a classroom. So that's that's one thing. Um, novice readers or first-year students. But also, um, I would say that general readers who don't necessarily know much about the topic, but are somehow interested in the topic, and they have a question, they may find uh, inter- interesting answers uh, from from this book and, and books uh, in this series. I mean, just to give a, uh, one example, some some uh, months ago I was in a, a meeting invited by local free thinkers to talk about these topics, and and they were really interested in uh, this forthcoming book. Well, it's now published, but then it was still forthcoming, and also. Having read or at least browsed all the books published in the series, I would also say that even established scholars can learn and enjoy reading the books in the series. Myself, for example, I have I have learned quite a lot um, reading those other books, and also when I was editing this one, I, I learned myself quite a bit. So this this. Although books have their main target audience, uh, I, w- I would say that that this series is not limited to the main target audience. Excellent. So I wanted to ask you more about the chapters themselves. Uh, as you mentioned, um, this series, each book has a, a, a really large number of short chapters. This one has 64 uh, written by yourself and um, about 45 other authors, I think, if I can count correctly, uh, that contribute to writing these chapters. Um, some of them write more than one. Um, and each one, as you mentioned, each chapter is centered on answering a particular question about atheists or atheism. So could you talk a little bit more about the process of coming up with these questions? Yes. Um, As I mentioned already, the idea is that it is not just the editor who decides what is worth asking. And when I started this process, I wasn't teaching because I was on uh, six-month sabbatical at that time. And I contacted two of my colleagues who were teaching introductory course uh, to the study of religion in, at the University of Helsinki, that if they could um, ask students to, to pose questions, first-year students mainly. And I received something like 200 questions. Uh, and, and I used 
those questions when uh, selecting interesting topics. I wasn't obviously able to choose all. I combined different questions or, or divided one question to, to several if, if needed. So uh, that was uh, one way of getting those questions. Then I also uh, browsed through different publications regarding atheism and non-religion and, and, and wanted to see what type of issues are covered and whether uh, some questions would come up by those means. And I also tried to um, figure out what, what stereotypical conceptions people have about atheism and whether uh, some of those might might help me to formulate some of the questions. And I even asked my friends and uh, who are not necessarily academics, what would they like to know about atheism and what would be the question they would pose. And, and then I, I combined, combined those, those questions and, and um, yeah, there's obviously the final decisions are mine, but, but uh, I'm not, I have not initiated all those questions myself. So I wanted to ask you if you were involved yourself in choosing the other authors, the other contributors, and if you could tell us a little bit about them and their expertise. Yes, um, this was a laborious process, and I chose all the authors. I contacted many authors uh, I knew, and then I did a lot of searching by Google and uh, and um, found some auth potential authors that way. Then I consulted my colleagues, um, some, some contributors, actually suggested uh, me to contact this or that person. And that's how I was able to find some, some good contributors. So, um, yes, uh, what I wanted to do is to, is to get a good amount of variety among scholars who, who uh, write to this, this book. So I wanted to get some kind of geographical variety so that people from different parts of the world could could contribute. Obviously, uh, the uh, the end result is quite strongly Euro-American, but maybe that reflects the study of atheism. Um, then I wanted to get some gender balance, even even a little bit uh, in uh, variety in terms of ethnicity, and and. Um, I wanted to get people from different career stage, some early career scholars, some established professors. However, I didn't want to use variety as a forced criteria. Uh, I always wanted to find the best possible person to cover the topic, to cover the question. Um, luckily, many agreed to, to join the project. Some declined. I mean, it should be uh, kept in mind that uh, I was sending these requests in the middle of pandemia. Uh, so, so people people were were busy rescheduling their their everyday life because of the COVID situation. So, some of the the potential authors couldn't couldn't join. Uh, in terms of expertise, um, I think the this. 
combination of contributors covers quite nicely different fields and disciplines. I mean, my background is in the study of religion, and I'm maybe leaning towards that myself in selecting uh, good authors. But there are historians, people uh, studying politics, sociologists, anthropologists, psychologists, and even some philosophers and theologians. I I have to say that I, I wanted to include some philosophers and theologians, but I wanted to keep them in a minority and put more emphasis on, on history, politics, sociology, anthropology, and psychology. Um, that was my, my decision. But overall, I would say that this um, end result is quite strongly multidisciplinary uh, project. Excellent. So in order to give the listeners a sense of the kinds of questions that this book addresses, I've selected a few to ask you about in detail. But let's start with the basics. How do you define atheist or atheism in your book? In this book, individual authors have the freedom to define atheism. I mentioned in the preface that obviously uh, there are two key ways uh, in defining atheism. One is the analytical one that, okay, people who lack beliefs in God, gods, or supernatural phenomena, or deny uh, their beliefs in such phenomena. That's one way to approach, and quite many contributors follow that definition. But atheism can be also understood as an identification. Um, so, so simply, um, we can also address people who identify themselves as atheists. And, and I, I wanted to keep that tension, if there's any, uh, for pedagogical purposes. So that, because that tension reflects the, the actual study of atheism. So, so readers need to ask themselves if it's not uh, clear, it should be clear from the from the from reading the chapters. But what type of definition individual contributors follow when they are addressing the question? But also, um, I would also say that although atheism is in the title of the book, I have also um, emphasized that some contributors are more leaning towards other terms such as non-religion or, or secular or some even write at some point about un, if unaffiliated people so so there's this variety as well and i would also uh, like to mention that there are um, some chapters focusing on on these definitional issues in particular for example the first chapter written by nathan alexander is titled what does the term atheism mean? So it, it uh, offers a historical um, examination of the term, how it has developed, how the meaning of atheism has developed in time and changed. And then second chapter by Christopher Cotter um, is titled, What is the difference between atheism, agnosticism, non-religion, and secular? So there are, there are some chapters where that, that is the main main issue uh, 
uh, in the first place. Excellent. So my next question is, is there such a thing as an atheistic religion? Yeah, that is one of the chapters I've written myself. And um, it should be mentioned perhaps here that this chapter is followed by uh, individual chapters addressing some uh, specific traditions and areas like ancient Greece and Rome, Judaism, Buddhism, Christian atheism, Islam, pagans and Satanists, and even, even dialogue between religion, uh, sorry, religious people and atheists. And, and my chapter is sort of introductory examination of this topic. Um, and maybe the, the key point for me personally is not uh, answering directly are there atheistic religions uh, but to challenge the question itself by asking um, students to consider what is at stake when people make claims about some religion being atheistic does that make a religion inauthentic or less valuable? Or does it make the tradition more rational? For example, compatible with scientific worldview. So in, in some sense, uh, this chapter is an e example uh, of the overall um, attitude in this whole book series that, that these do not provide simply answers to the question, uh, but also problematize the question and in that manner uh, aim to help students or readers to think themselves and learn themselves more about the topic and the way we ask questions. And in that vein, I should mention as well for listeners that um, at the end of the chapter, each at the end of each chapter, you um, also include um, your sources, but as well recommended reading. Is that right? For more on that question? Yes. And I, I think that in um, electronic versions, there are even cross references now for other books published in the series. Oh, excellent. Okay, well, this brings me to the topic of chapter 25. And that's the question, what makes atheists different from the rest of the population, if anything? Yes, that is the typical sociological question. And uh, I think we can say quite um, convincingly that the key difference between um, or key character of, of atheists, atheists in, in most societies is related to gender. So men are much more likely to be atheists than women. Another key character is age, or maybe it's better to talk about generations. So younger generations are typically more likely to be atheists than older generations. And third um, key issue is um, ur uh, ur urbanization. Like the people living in cities are much more likely to be atheists than people living in countryside, for example, 
or small towns. So these uh, have have become um, so common among scholars that no one really challenges anymore these things un- until new um, data, new evidence uh, comes up. I would also also add political positioning in a sense that um, atheists are more likely to be liberal-leaning or lean, leaning towards left if we talk about left-center-right uh, positions um, in, a, in a political continuum. However, some of those um, aspects usually picked up in, in popular discourse, such as education and intelligence, they are much more contested issues. There's data um, showing that that atheists are perhaps more intelligent uh, or more educated than the rest of the population, but this is not consistent. Um, so it changes from one country to another. So so it's it's not something that would really make atheists atheists different from the rest of the population in in many countries. Yeah, so I've got um, another question for you from the sociological realm. Um, There's a couple of really interesting chapters back to back that go further into these demographic questions. So the first one is, why are some societies more atheistic than others? Yes, it should be mentioned that this chapter is preceded by the question, what are the most atheistic societies? And that chapter is uh, written by Isabella Castell-Strand. So, so my chapter, why are some societies more atheistic than others, is a sort of continuation of, of that topic. And um, I basically lay out some of the key uh, sociological theories concerning uh, the, the explanations of why some societies are more atheistic than others. Um, and one of the sort of almost universal hypotheses is, is that when we are talking about societies in which existential security is on high level, meaning that when societies are wealthy and they have social security networks, then those societies are becoming less religious and consequently uh, slightly more atheistic although it has to be underlined that not all uh, people who are leaving religion or rejecting religion are becoming uh, card-carrying atheists. They, most people actually are indifferent towards these issues. But that's one of, the, one of the key theories at the moment, but there are also more historical ex- uh, explanations that uh, the historical process of modernization is... Uh, the, the the explanatory framework uh, to answer why some why are why some societies are more atheistic than others, but there are also even more local explanations. Something like uh, those pointing towards European exceptionality, that it's not just modernization, but Europe specific European history that has led Europe to be quite secular in comparison to other societies. And I only add to that uh, question about uh, 
identification. So, so, so none of these key theories answer directly to the question whether of whether atheism as an identity is uh, popular in one society and not in others. So I also highlight the definitional question because these three already mentioned key frameworks start uh, with analytical definition of atheism rather than identification. Okay. So that relatedly um, is access to the internet involved here. You have a chapter that asks, has the internet made atheism more popular? And I imagine that intersects with this question of why some populations are more atheistic than others as well. Yes, internet uh, is the sort of um, one issue that has been discussed, but there's no uh, definite answer to that question, especially the form of the question is tricky. Has the internet made atheism more popular? Because it's very difficult to distinguish internet as a variable from the rest of the life we have, rest of the factors that, that are involved. Um, we know for sure that internet and social media has been very important for many atheist individuals and uh, atheist groups and communities. So atheism is lively in, in social media. But whether the internet itself has made atheism more popular, we don't know for sure, but so far... Uh, the existing research suggests that internet is perhaps facilitating pe- uh, people to move towards atheism more than towards finding new religious identities. So in that sense, I would say very cautiously uh, that that perhaps internet is making atheism slightly more popular. But the more important point is the the... Um, sort of uh, networking possibilities atheists um, have been able to form uh, because of uh, internet and social media. Yes, I noticed that the chapter focused a lot on on what the internet brings to people who are already leaning towards atheism maybe is the way to put it because of the otherwise the lack of the social network that um, atheists sometimes encounter in the the real world. Um, And I guess I was thinking of, I believe that there has been some indication that particular religions, I'm thinking of Mormonism and Scientology, for example, um, there's some evidence to believe that those particular religions have been hurt by their members being able to access more information online that convinces people that maybe there's something fishy about the Mormon version of their own history or about the claims of Scientology, for example. Um, And so I take it that that those individual examples, if I understand them correctly, don't really, maybe don't reflect a whole lot of other situations among religion. Because I noticed that it seemed that the uh, the scholarly research into this question really wasn't going in that direction. Do you know anything about that? Well, I I'm pretty much agree with what you suggest that some groups. Um, 
are especially vulnerable if people have access to internet and they use it uh, for networking and bonding purposes. I, I quite often use um, the the example from Finland uh, concerning Protestant revival mo- movement, Lestadianism, um, which has been, which is quite con- conservative, quite closed, and when people uh, started to share their experiences in in discussion forums, uh, soon it became public issue that there has been some some abuse, some difficulties, some um, maybe maybe sexual abuse and things like that uh, in the in the community, and and that in that way people were people became empowered to speak up in public. And, and it's like a snowball starting to roll down the hill and, and things became, become bigger and bigger. And, but if we think about, let's say, mainline Christianity, um, liberal Christianity, I don't think that internet has too much um, influence on those people, except that internet is uh, one uh, way we spend our time. We spend our time online. So, so if we think about um, time before uh, internet and social media, maybe we went to church, but now we think, okay, um, we can just uh, browse things online and maybe participate to online church if we want to but maybe nobody cares if we don't so so uh, in that sense internet can have some some influence on on um, let's say the sort of mainline liberal uh, christian churches as well but but you're quite right that uh, some groups are more vulnerable than others okay um, so your book also addresses questions about atheist uh, representation. For example, it asks, is atheism visible in popular culture? Yeah, th- this, is, this is one of the topics I'm interested in uh, at, at the moment, um, because I would say that too little research has been done about atheist representations or representations of atheism and atheists in, in uh, media and popular culture. Uh, there are some, but uh, still, still that, that's an area where there's, um, I would say, lack of research. So I, I wanted to include those uh, questions to this, this book to sort of make them more visible as potentially interesting areas of study. And um, in the in the chapter on, on popular culture, I address um, briefly popular music and digital games games, but for the most part, I write about films. And I would say that traditionally, atheism has been represented in in films very negatively in a stereotypical manner. But interestingly, there is some kind of shift in happening in in the the first decades of 21st century, um, there are more films um, in which there are atheist characters, even even main characters, and 
they they are not represented negatively only. It it can be a combination of sort of positive representation with some stereotypical aspects included in those films, such as atheists uh, seen as people struggling with meaning of life, struggling with existential issues, atheists being suicidal, um, and so on and so forth. Even even in cases where the overall um, intention is to is to uh, give a positive representation of of atheism. So I think this is something that we can uh, probably um, answer again after a couple of years' time, uh, because in recent years there's been more and more, for example, television series in which. Uh, uh, atheism is somehow at rest. So beyond popular culture, if we think of the media at large, um, how would you say atheism is represented there? Yes, this is one of my favorite topics because I've I've written quite a lot about uh, religion in the media, how religion is portrayed in, in the mainstream media, especially news media. And... Um, I've been surprised about, uh, again, lack of research concerning atheism and also um, about the fact that even many well-educated, clever scholars uh, have the the assumption that media is somehow anti-religious. And I think this is a somewhat stereotypical conception and... and, uh, I, I always like to point out that if we look at the, uh, the countries in which, um, which have one dominant Christian church or Christian tradition, uh, it is quite typical that mainstream news media uh, supports moderately that tradition or that church. So um, I would say that Mainstream news media is, uh, especially in Europe, is typically favoring liberal Christianity, not conservative Christianity, liberal Christianity over atheist activism. Yeah, I think I would agree with you as well. Um So these chapters also cover a really interesting range of questions about the atheist worldview. Uh, For example, what do atheists value in religion, if anything? Uh, Yeah, again, I think I should mention that that, um, the chapter that precedes this um, is um, written by Joel Thiersen and Sarah Wilkins-Laflamme, and the question in that chapter is, do atheists value some religions more than other religions? And it is quite clear on the basis of that chapter that Buddhism is the, is the, uh, the tradition atheists uh, have uh, most positive feelings towards. And, and uh, from that we can, we can already say that when atheists write anything positive about religion. They often um, write about Buddhist meditation practices like 
Buddhist uh, meditation practices are good. Let's just forget the supernatural part. And and they want it. They they write as if they want uh, the the these worldly beneficial aspects of meditation practices uh, without the beliefs belief system, right? But then there are others, other aspects, and and I I pick up some of the publications such as um, Swiss atheist philosopher Alain de Botton and his um, book 2012 book Religion for Atheists, in which he tries to um, lay out what positive aspects religion has and what what religious traditions and communities can teach uh, atheists. And one aspect he underlines quite strongly is community building. That religious groups and communities are much better in community building and also cooperation uh, in comparison with secular organizations. So, so that is one key aspect atheists value in religion, in religious traditions and religious communities. But also, I would pick up third aspect, um, and that is rituals. Only some we know um, on the basis of previous research that only some atheists value rituals. Some consider rituals. Um, um, being too religious, even when they don't have um, any supernatural references. But but for the most part, people throughout the world want to mark their important passages in life, whether they are name-giving ceremonies, marriage, funeral, or other ceremonies. And, and atheists and secular people don't necessarily have uh, any any traditions or frameworks, ready-made frameworks um, to those passages. So I would say that, that those three aspects are three important ones. Meditation practices, community building and rituals uh, that we can find from, from existing literature um, written by public intellectuals who identify themselves as atheists. Excellent. So while you were working on this project, was there a question you found really unexpected or perhaps an answer that really surprised you? Mm. It is difficult to say whether I was surprised at any point. If I was, I have forgotten that feeling. But I want to highlight that... The, the existing questions that ended up in the book, some of them are actually quite surprising questions. For example, um, chapter 54, written by Jonathan Lanman, uh, is, the question is, do atheists have beliefs in supernatural phenomena? Now, some people would say that this is, this is contradictory, namely, if you have beliefs in supernatural phenomena, you are not really an atheist. But um, as the chapter shows, um, if if we ask uh, from from self-identifying atheists whether they believe in this or that, 
it turns out that some of them actually have beliefs in supernatural phenomena. So atheism quite often actually uh, means that that you reject the idea concerning one true uh, omnipresent, uh, all-knowing God who has created the world, but not all the all the um, ideas concerning healing and astrology and things like that. So I think that is that is an example of surprising question that ended up in the book. Are there any other chapter topics that you'd like to bring up? And uh, not really, but I, I, I'd like, now I've been talking mostly about the chapters I've written myself, but I, I like to highlight the variety in terms of uh, disciplines and, and questions. So we have th- some of those historical questions. I'm not a specialist in, in ancient Greece and Rome, but we have uh, questions dealing with that, that those issues and, and, and uh, also geographical variety. Uh, concerning, for example, is it difficult to be an atheist in Muslim countries? And we have some philosophical questions, questions such as um, how do atheists deal with the problem of evil? And we have um, um, questions focusing on, on atheist communities, such as do atheists have rituals? and how are atheists organized. And so it, 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 I think there are issues um, on, on many different levels. Obviously, uh, none of the questions uh, can, are, are, are so thorough that, that one can be perfectly happy with, with, with the answer because they are so short. But I think this, this hopefully offers a starting point for, for finding more uh, and, and asking uh, new questions um, by those who are interested in the topic. So you yourself wrote the last chapter as well, which is a fitting one to end on, and that is, what is the future of atheism? Yes, that was the topic that was sort of uh, proposed by the editors of the series that that type of question would be good to have there. And uh, yes, um, prediction is difficult, especially when we talk about religion and atheism. But according to uh, predictions, we we, uh, anticipate that globally the number of atheists and non-religious non-religious people well the absolute number is going up but the proportion proportion of people with no religion is going down because uh, fertility rates are much higher in those areas which are strongly religious however secularization is ongoing in many countries and we know on the basis of previous research that that if um, people are asked whether religion is important for them, uh, that that importance or significance is going down in many many countries. Still, so so I lay out those those uh, basic things we we know on the basis of previous studies um, concerning the the future of atheism, and 
um, then I also highlight that we should be a little bit suspicious uh, concerning the predictions. And I end that chapter in asking that although I understand the informative dimension in, in these studies, I also, also highlight that we should ask what functions the, the predictive models of have, who's making use of those models, and for what purposes. Are there some policy decisions proposed on the base of those? So, so we should be a little bit careful uh, in not not just taking those predictions on at, at their face value, but be critical of what people are doing on those bases. Well, Teemu, I've taken up a lot of your time. Uh, it's later in Finland, uh, but, but in the few minutes we have left, can you tell us what you're currently working on? Yes, um, this has been a busy year for me personally because, in addition to this edited volume, I I uh, finished my own monograph that was published earlier earlier this year. So I'm little by little uh, getting to the new project, and I hope to write a book on representations of atheism and atheists in the news media and media culture. So fulfilling some of the gaps that exist in, in research I already mentioned. mentioned. So these chapters I wrote about popular culture and, and media for this are, are just uh, sort of um, minor starting points for, for something more substantial, I hope. Excellent. That sounds really good. Well, I want to thank you for being on the show today. Your book was a real pleasure to read, and uh, I hope that listeners will consider it as a very useful resource in covering all aspects of, of this topic. So I'm really glad you were able to join me today and chat with me about it. Yeah, thanks for having me. I want to thank you for listening to New Books and Secularism, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. Once again, I'm Carrie Lynn Evans, and I've been speaking with Professor Taimu Tyra about his new book, Atheism in Five Minutes, published by Equinox. If you'd like to find out more about Taimu and his work, you can visit his website, taimutyra.wordpress.com, or follow him on Twitter at Taimu Tyra, T-E-E-M-U-T-A-I-R-A. If you enjoyed this podcast, please write us a positive review in your podcast player, post about us on social media, or tell a friend. I'm also interested in hearing from you about your thoughts on this podcast and the material we cover. Are you an atheist? Do you feel like the answers to these questions reflected you at all? Uh, do you have any other questions about atheism? You can talk to me about it on Twitter. You can find me at Carrie Lindland. That's at C-A-R-R-I-E-L-Y-N-N. L-A-N-D. Do you have a book you'd like covered on one of our shows? Contact us through our website, newbooksnetwork.com. Also, be sure to like the New Books Network page on Facebook and follow us on Twitter, where you'll see every time we post a new interview. In the meantime, I'll wish you an à la prochaine from Quebec until my next conversation about new books.